All right, look, we're continuing on in the book of Acts, and I kind of wish that it wasn't vacation weekend, uh, because I would love for the church to be full as we study what was, this, what was going on in this early church here in Acts chapter 2. But I'm going to trust that God knows. I'm going to trust that He's brought exactly who needs to be here and who needs to hear this. And I know that I need to hear it, and I needed to hear it this week. So I want to encourage you, listen. Listen to this. We've continued to say that probably the best title for Acts is the Acts of Jesus from Heaven through the disciples, by the power of His Holy Spirit, and today is a great example of that. We saw last week that the phenomenon of Pentecost, actually two weeks ago, when there was a great strong wind, and, and I wish that I had the time to go through the, the, the meaning and the definition of this idea of wind as it blows in the midst of people, going hearkening all the way back to creation, all the way back to Genesis 1, but definitely seen as Adam and Eve are in the garden after sin, and it says that God visited them in the cool of the afternoon. It's probably about this wind as well. And here again, like the cloud that followed the Israelites in the wilderness and met the Israelites on Mount Sinai, here again, this great wind comes and flames as of flames of fire standing and seen above the heads of the people. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And remember, we have been saying that the Spirit's work has been continuous throughout all of Scripture, not new to the New Testament. In fact, it is the Spirit of God hovering over the chaos of Genesis 1, right? But this Spirit poured out on God's people for the first time is the spirit of the risen and the reigning Christ, the uniqueness of Pentecost that entered the church into the age of the Spirit. This phenomenal experience that exists today. One commentator of old said it's almost as if you would imagine a city that had never had a waterworks before creating a waterworks. And, and at one point in time, the water was turned on for that waterworks and the whole city was flooded with water. You can't ever duplicate that again. But as each house is built and added to that system of water, the water is turned on for that house as well. The gift of the Spirit given to the church. And you saw one of the phenomenal things that happened from that last week, Peter's sermon. We looked at Peter's sermon, the first sermon recorded post-resurrection of Jesus, as people heard the wondrous works of God proclaimed in their own languages. Wouldn't you love it if I could speak all the languages represented in this room right now? The languages of your heart. You might have a language of your heart that when you pray it's not English. And what if you heard me preaching? And what if you heard other people standing up and proclaiming the wondrous works of God in your language? That'd be phenomenal, wouldn't it? It would be what we call phenomenal. And that's what happened. And then Peter stood up, filled with the Spirit, and he preached. We heard last week that that preaching of the sermon focused on Jesus. What does it mean to preach the gospel? It means to preach Jesus' life. What's interesting is it didn't have anything to do with Jesus' teaching. <laughs> That's an interesting thing, isn't it? It had to do with his life. It had to do with his death. It had to do with his resurrection. And Peter witnessed, he bore witness to the resurrection of Christ, both from the Old Testament, you can go back and read the earlier parts of chapter 2, and from his own eyewitness. He said, we saw these things, that on the count of two witnesses, 
his attestation of the truth would stand. And now we see the further phenomenal work of our risen and reigning Jesus as his spirit is poured out onto the church. The people who hear Peter's message say, what should we do? Oh no, the one whom God has made Lord and King, we crucified. And remember last week we sort of dropped the mic with the idea that human beings, given the opportunity, will murder their maker. And in our own hearts we know how much we say, no, I am the king, you are not the king. My will be done, not yours. My kingdom come, not yours. So much so that I told you about my friend who sat with me and said, look, I'm an atheist, and God does not exist. Well, now we turn to this peace where over 3,000 people, it says, just before this verse, profess faith. And they said, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The phenomenal work of Jesus in the church, through the giving of the Spirit, is what we read about here. We read about this phenomenon of what happened to the church. And I want you to see it in four ways. Their relationship to authority, their relationship to each other, their relationship to God, and ultimately their relationship to the world around them. But before you do, I want you to know that I resonate with you that this is a disturbing text. It's disturbing because it is so fragile, isn't it? It's so fragile. You guys know that I love my old beat-up Land Cruiser. It's a truck that is 30-some-odd years old. I love it. And you know, I realized this week one of the reasons I love it. I love it because it is so beefy. It is the last thing but fragile is what you would call this thing. It is just a tank is what my wife loves to call it. It, it, in my mind, it can go anywhere. The problem is it's broken and it's in my garage and it goes nowhere, right? And you're like, much good that does you. But I just realized in my own life, I gravitate toward things that are not fragile. And I wonder if that's the same with you. But I want to say the one thing that we recognize in this phenomenal work of the Spirit in the life of the church is how fragile it is. And as we look at it, we go, whoa, wait a minute. What if this were true? So what's the first relationship that we see? It's the relationship to authority. We see it in this very first verse. Look at verse 42 with me, if you will. And it simply says this, and they devoted themselves. Now, now here's the ticket. If you want to pay attention to this passage, the way you understand this passage is understanding that idea, they devoted themselves. What it says is that they were devoting themselves to these things. They were busily attending to. They were saying, these are the things that I'm going to spend my life on, my effort on, my attention on. Now, it, it begs to ask the question, what are you devoted to, right? And each of us is devoted to something. And maybe we're devoted to a number of things. Maybe if you sat down and you thought, well, if I look through my calendar, what would be the things that demonstrate I'm devoted to them by the time that I spend with them? You know, for instance, do you exercise three times a week? Um, I don't know. Maybe you would look at your checkbook and say, where do we spend our money? That shows me what we're devoted to. I, I hate to think how much you would look at my checkbook and say, man, are you really devoted to going out to eat dinner? You know, is that really what you're devoted to? But this idea of devoted to is that which you pour attention toward 
on. You spend your time and your energy. You're busily at work in. You're focused on it. And the first thing that they say is that they are devoted, they have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now this is an amazing reality, isn't it? They're saying that the new center of truth in their lives is the, uh, the apostles' teaching. It is around the apostles' teaching that they were constructing their understanding of life post-resurrection. You've got to understand, these folks have experienced the resurrection for all of 40-some-odd days now. And they're experiencing the resurrection and going, if the resurrection is really true, this changes everything. These people are just like you and me, flesh and blood. They don't see resurrection. And yet these were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And as the apostles taught them, post-resurrection, using Scripture as we saw Peter use it in the sermon, in the same way that Jesus did with the apostles since he was raised from the dead and for those 30-some-odd days walked with them, and taught them through the Old Testament, being read through the lens of Christ, explaining to them Joel 2, explaining to them Psalm 16, explaining to them Psalm 110, through the lens of Christ, that the apostles continued that teaching. Now look, you would go, man, that's really fragile. That God would advance the truth of His kingdom the phenomenal work would be their devotion to the apostles' teaching. Remember, this is the apostle Peter teaching here. What was Peter doing less than two months ago? He was denying Christ. He was saying, I don't know him. I do not know him. And now people are devoting themselves to Peter's teaching and to the teaching of the apostles. They're being baptized. It's a radical thing for these Jews to be baptized. Baptism in the Jewish context was left for the Gentiles to be baptized and leave their, their, their sinful Gentile way and become Jewish. A radical stage. And yet here we see these Jews being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Why this fragileness? Because the fragileness depends on the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, When I go, I will send to you the Holy Spirit, and he will remind you of everything that I have taught you. Everything. Do you want to know why the apostles' teaching could be depended on? And why we as the church depend on the apostles' teaching even now, even as I preach? Because of the phenomenal work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the risen and the reigning Christ, reminding those apostles everything that we needed to know so that when we preach from the Gospels and Acts and the letters and the epistles, we can have confidence that we understand what God is teaching us about our lives post-resurrection. The second thing you see is that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. This is the second of four relationships. Relationships to one another. This idea of fellowship, it's the idea that we understand as commonness 
in just a little bit, the, word, the same word is going to be used when it says that they held everything in common. This isn't communism. It's the concept that there was fellowship that resulted from the gift of the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves to a concept of unity, to a sense of identity that was corporate. And look, you can see that from the very first word of this sentence, they. Not each one of them. It didn't say that. It said they. A corporate word. Us together. They devoted themselves to fellowship. What are you devoted to as a group? Are you a Patriots fan? Are you a member of Red Sox Nation? Are, are, are your fellowships the clubs that you belong to because you are a hockey player? Or maybe that, that group of people that is your professional society? These Christians, these who first lived the post-resurrection hope that Jesus is alive and reigning, were devoted to the fellowship because the Spirit had been poured out on them. In fact, as you read the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, he actually says it is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that would be with you. The Apostle Paul understood that it's exactly the gift of the Spirit that gave them this concept of fellowship. And see, this is a fragile idea because we know each other. We know each other to be broken, and we're like, can we really be devoted to each other? You're going to let me down. I let somebody down this week, wrote them a text, said, hey, look, I've been thinking about you. They wrote a, a text back, and guess what? I forgot to write back a third one. Left it hanging. We know our own brokenness, don't we? And this feels very fragile. But again, it's dependence on the Holy Spirit. This fellowship that is given by the gift of the Spirit speaks to the unity that we have with the Father. Jesus again prayed in John 17, Father, may they know that they are one, that I am in them and they are in me and we are in you. That the gift of the Spirit reminds us of that fellowship that is vertical, that affects our horizontal fellowship. That we belong to each other. And it is sustained not by our effort, but by the Holy Spirit in his presence with us, second of four. The third is the relationship to God. It says that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And then it says, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Specifically, the definitive article, the, in both of those. The breaking of the bread and the prayers. Most commentators believe that this is the participation in the Lord's Supper and the prayers that would have been consistent with them as Jewish people, both in the temple and at home that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. They devoted themselves, very simply, to dependent worship on God. Dependent worship. Because what happens in the breaking of the bread? What happens when we come and receive communion? It's just that. You receive. It's not a work that you do. It's a reception that you take when you come to the supper. And then the prayers, the dependent pleading with God that he would be glorified. 
You know that these apostles had been taught the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Etc. And it's these prayers that they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Gifts from God. They received it with gratitude and with dependence. They joined their voices. Jesus encouraged corporate prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. The corporateness even there. But the amazing thing is we all know that our worship can tend toward performance. Me, worst of all, as the preacher that stands before you, that wants so badly to perform and to receive accolades, the fragility of even our worship. But here's the amazing thing. Again, the Holy Spirit undergirds our worship, gives us the very words with which we praise God. Not only that, but praise on our behalf with groans that are too deep for words. That very thing that feels so fragile is again supported by the Spirit. Even this devotion to the relationship of God. What is the result? The result is what we see in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That would be amazing, right? To see that healing. To see you lift somebody up and all of a sudden they walk. I mean, that'd be pretty amazing. How many of us cannot say we'd like to see that happen today? We'd love to see that happen. We would be filled with awe. But even here, as they devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and as they saw God at work among them, they were filled with awe. God is with us. It says that one of the results of this is verse 44. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's that fellowship word again, right there. Had all things in common. They shared everything. Do you want to know what was so interesting? Is that human beings were being transformed. Their idea of their own possessions became not their own stuff, but they had a radical otherness as their focus. They were concerned about others, even to the point of giving up their own possessions. Listen to how it's described in chapter, in verse 45. And, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. There was an awareness of each other. There was an awareness of the other that existed among them. Now it's interesting, they didn't sell everything, right? You go down the next few verses and some of them still had houses that they had and that they would invite people over to their houses. So it's not the idea that everything was sold and, and there was just this big pot of money for homeless people. That's not what it was. It was an awareness of the other and what people needed, right? That was the result. Human beings being changed. Their very orientation was being changed. There was a radical otherness about them. Do you know what I think this flies in the face of? The Buddhist idea of mindfulness. It flies in the face of this. Because what it does is it says we are not able to care for ourselves. We are dependent on you, Father. 
and all the gifts that you have given us with which we will care for each other. We need each other. It's not just about our ability to control our own minds. And then it says this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the last of the four points, and it's hidden for us in English. But this word devoted is in there as well. It's hidden in this phrase, and day by day attending the temple together. It says day by day they had devoted themselves with one mind in the temple, is what it says. They devoted themselves to a fourth thing. They devoted themselves to attending the temple. Now, now think through this with me, if you will. Where would they have gotten the idea to do that? Where did Jesus go all the time? He was always in the temple. And why was he there? Because he was proclaiming to those who would have known the language of faith who he was and what God was doing. He was proclaiming who he was to them. And so when these disciples, these apostles, these church members, these early Christians devote themselves with one mind to the temple. They are saying we are devoting ourselves to going there and praising God for who he is. We are exalting in what he has done in giving us Christ for the payment of our sins and raising him from the dead. And with a generous heart, a simplicity, they thought the best of each other. They didn't allow a stumbling block to be put in the way, is what it says. With exultant and generous hearts, they found favor with all the people. They devoted to living publicly. What a beautiful picture of what evangelism is, of proclaiming our hope. They were devoted to it. And they found favor with all the people and God added to their number those who were being saved. One commentator says it like this. People saw in them a winning quality of attractiveness as they were together praising God. Where do you go where people worship? I got one for you. Okay, one. Mita's membership for the gym was wearing out this week. We only had this like introductory thing and we can't keep going there. And so Mita goes and this gym is a place where there are like a lot of people worshiping. There are a lot of people worshiping. But you want to know what's interesting about this gym, the other thing? There are a lot of Christians who know each other who go there and who talk about their and they talk about what Jesus has done in their lives, and they exalt Christ. And with a generous simplicity of their heart can proclaim who Jesus is. And people go, who are you? What are you like? How do I know this same Christ? And we would say as they do, it's very easy. Come to our house. Come and be with us. Come and worship with us. Come to church. 
Come and meet these people who are my people. Because the Holy Spirit has been given. The church is so fragile, isn't it? We're so afraid that we have a bad conversation and suddenly our relationship to the church is broken. But what I want you to see is that there is phenomenal work of the Holy Spirit poured out in this setting so that all their relationships to authority, to each other, their relationship to God, and even their relationship to others is transformed. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is be devoted to prayer. The only other place we see these apostles devoted before this is in, John, is in Acts 1. They were devoting themselves to prayer as they waited for the Holy Spirit. But here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to be given. The Holy Spirit has been given. It's promised to the church. Repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's been given. And so what do we do? I think it's natural for us as a church to go, how are we doing on these things? How are we doing together being devoted to the apostles' teaching? Honestly. Where are the conversations happening in community group and in the Bible studies of, hey, how are we doing? Who else should we have here? Who needs to come? Who needs to participate? How do we encourage one another? How are we doing with the idea of proclaiming our hope as Jesus is exalted? As the King and the Lord who lives today when we go about our daily lives, when we see each other. Do we have non-Christian friends who are attracted to us because of the way we care for one another? Holding everything in common. Listen, it's incredible to begin to think that this is what God has made the church to be like. I think there's some of us in this room that are more disciplined than others of us, and we ought to use each other's gifts in this way. Those who are more disciplined ought to say, hey, look, here's a structure. And those of us who are less disciplined would be like, hey, would you help me keep up with that structure? I want to come. I want to come and participate. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be there. But the thing that we need to understand before we practice our discipline before we come together and encourage one another, we need to understand that the first movement of these people is a movement of praise and thanksgiving as they sense God being at work among us. Luke, when he referenced the Lord's Prayer, put a parable at the end of it. And the end of that parable, he says, if your fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit when you ask for it? Christ the King Church, what ought we to be doing? Asking God to do a work of the Holy Spirit among us that would make us look more and more like this. Because this is a picture more and more of who Jesus is. And that his name would be glorified among us. Amen. Let's pray.